All right, welcome to another interview episode of Breakthrough Marketing Secrets. I have a total treat for you today. We'll get into his background and all of that in just a second. But Nick, you were an insider at Dan Kennedy's companies from 2012 until 2020. And let's just start off. What's one huge sales, marketing, or business lesson you learned there that you think about often? Well, there are so many. Uh, Dan Kennedy is a genius, uh, still is a genius, and I learned so much. You know, I think the first and foremost one that you always want to remember that was instilled in us is you know you don't uh, you you don't make a sale to get a customer. You make you know you get a customer to make a sale, right? So go out and get the customer, and it's not just the first sale, but it's the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth hierarchy, downsell, oversell, cross-sell. And so it's just thinking about the entire life cycle uh, of that of that customer and the total LTV uh, of, of that customer, lifetime value uh, for your audience. Your audience is sharp. They're used to that. I'm used to other people's audiences that aren't that sharp. But really focusing on the lifetime value of the customer, getting that customer, even if you go negative, or break even on the first sale, realizing that you're going to have multiple multiple sales to them. That's the most important thing. Uh, and we'll get into some others because I think that, you know uh, it, there's a lot that Dan shared and taught everyone, but there's a lot he he shared us behind the curtain. So I think your your audience is going to love it. Yeah, that lifetime value, that maximum lifetime value that you can get out of a customer is something that I think that a lot of people don't realize what a needle mover that is. And so many times when I hear people reference it, you know, Dan is one of the people that they learned from. Um, so you got that inside perspective. So uh, Nicholas Luisi was president at Dan Kennedy's GKIC and Magnetic Marketing. And some of the stats while he was there uh, increased lead volume 125%, drove annualized sales growth of 25%, increased the sales velocity. I want to ask about that soon. Uh, cut the churn rate by more than half, achieved the highest total monthly recurring revenue in the company's history, transformed the internal sales team, and reduced voluntary staff turnover from 137% to just 10%. That's really impressive. Uh, as a leader of the company. As a keynote speaker, he shared the stage with Dan Kennedy, Russell Brunson, Frank Kern, Joe Polish, uh, Barbara Corcoran, Adam West, many others. He's an author and co-author of many books on sales and marketing, No BS Guide to Direct Response Marketing and Sales Needle and Ghostwriter to Magnetic Marketing and various other marketing and sales books and creator of the educational sales course, Sales Mastery, How to Create a High Impact Sales Team. His passion is and has always been helping entrepreneurs, businesses, and professional practices market and sell better faster and more efficiently to help the owners improve profitability and valuations. And today he does that with clients through sales performance team, uh, which is his current company. So Nick, how the heck did you get started with Dan Kennedy? Well, well first off, I usually that, that I got to shorten that bio that I got bored listening to that. I apologize <laughs> to your audience uh, off to the front. My gosh, that's a little too long. And listen, a lot of this stuff, you know, I had a phenomenal team I worked with every day, right? I had some of the best minds. I had some of the best copywriters. Uh, I had some of the best marketers, you know, so it was, yeah, I was at the helm, but I had a phenomenal team and, you know, we were all dedicated to Dan uh, and carrying on Dan's legacy and sharing his body of worth uh, with really smart entrepreneurs and really good copywriters. And so that was it. So to answer your question, Roy, um, 
I was a student first. So when I launched my agency, I launched a direct response agency in 2006. So I kind of, I grew up selling. I always sold, right? I was a salesman, account executive. Then I went to graduate school, which I know is a bad word when you talk to Dan, right? Uh, But I went to graduate school and then got hired on as a VP of sales. And there's two things that I did that I kind of learned. one is I was heavy direct response. So the advertising that we ran was direct response where everybody else in our industry was uh, brand building. And so I got the phone, learned to get the phones to ring. Uh, and then the other thing that I did that other people wouldn't do is I kind of created a business development team, a team to knock on doors, a sales force, if you will. Um, and so, you know, you you learn the traditional, you know, four P's, product place, price promotion, right? All very, very important. And Dan reinforces all of that. But when I started my agency, I, I was looking for something more media, right? And to really get to become a good copywriter and a really good direct response, because that's the business I wanted to be in. And so I stumbled across uh, Dan Kennedy earlier in, I'm going to date myself. And so I apologize to people that are listening to this. But in 1994, I saw a gentleman by the name of Dan Kennedy speak at a Peter Lowe event in Scottsdale, Arizona, or actually downtown Phoenix, Arizona, excuse me. And I took my sales team, I was running a West Coast sales team, I brought everybody in for a sales meeting. And I brought him to this Peter Lowe event, because Zig Ziglar was on the on the stage, and Brian Tracy was on the stage, and some football guys were on the stage and Colangio, who at the one time owned the Bulls and the Hawks, but now owned the Phoenix Sun, right? So that traditional yeah. stage. And there was a guy at the end running around putting flyers on chairs as the as the stadium is leaving because we are in the phoenix sun stadium uh and he's like hey listen you can sit in traffic or you can listen to me and i'm going to talk about marketing and i always loved marketing right i was a sales guy but i love marketing so i I said the guys we're not going for beers yet we're going to stay and listen so i listened to him give the magnetic marketing speech that many probably people in your audience if they haven't listened to should go out and find it and listen to because it's pure gold And then he's selling it in the back of the room. Now, I didn't buy it in the back of the room, full transparency. I took the team out for drinks, as I promised. And then I got, lo and behold, I got a sales letter, which in essence is the speech that got mailed to my office. And so I then bought Magnetic Marketing. And I should, I think I have it. It's not in this office. It's in a different office. But I have the original Magnetic Marketing I bought in 1994. Now, I know if people are seeing this on YouTube, they're like, well, geez, you had to be three years old in 1994. I was a little older, right? But so I bought Magnetic Marketing and we put it to work. Right. We that was the most important thing. So we we you know it's it's templated letters, right? It's product place price promotion, it's message to market match, right? And we just put it to work and it worked for us. And so when I was launching my direct response agency, I still had this binder and I you know used it to launch the business on direct uh, mail uh, and we used it for our clients. And so and then I became a member, right? So I was a GKI, it was KIC, then GKIC. Uh, and I was a um, gold member, then I became a diamond member. And then I you know, got to you know, went to their events. And I got to meet Bill, ask him questions, or he was really, really sharp 
super sharp mind, great entrepreneur himself, um, and you know, really was the driving force at one time too behind the rapid growth of GKIC. Uh, and then they were looking for a BVP of sales. I was selling my agency. I had partners and investors, so that's always a really fun combination. We took on angel investors to grow it, so I took about a half a million dollars uh, investors on, and so they wanted out. They wanted to turn their money in another couple projects, so we sold it, and uh, they were looking for a VP of sales, uh, and. I got recruited in and, you know, it was a joy every day. Uh, it wasn't sunshine and roses every day working with Dan, but it was a joy every day to kind of carry <laughs> his body work out to, uh, into, you know, to entrepreneurs and to teach people about it. So it was a lot of fun and I was blessed and I ran, had a great run, right? An eight year run and a lot of great smart people. And I got to, you know, still call them front to a friend like yourself to this day. So let me, let me inter, uh, interject here while you were there during that eight years. So we kind of got up to the point of, okay, I'm showing up. Yeah. VP of sales, right? Uh, what were some of the biggest changes that you saw while you worked there? Um, maybe both introduced by you. And and that was, that was quite the period because by 2012, it was like all of the offline stuff was really moving online. Yeah. And I'm not saying that, 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 everything Dan does is online now, but online has become like a very dominant medium for any of this uh, information marketing. So like, what were some of the changes, I guess, with the the marketing and selling, but also with the, how the business was run that you saw uh, as, as part of that, both during GKIC and then the transition to magnetic marketing? Yeah, and I, I think that those are great questions. And there's probably some mistakes I made that, you know, I would, I would all talk about that too, right? If that's okay. Okay. So I think the first yeah. thing we did was, you know, goes back to lifetime value. And, and, and I didn't think I would talk about this even more, but it was, right? So, you know, in essence, you got the person in with MythKey, most incredible free gift. So that was our tripwire or the introduce them. It's a $19 product. I still think it's 1997 or whatever it is. And you, and yeah. in essence, it's the indoctrination to who we are, what we do and how we do business. And it gave them an evergreen interview and an evergreen, um, and an evergreen um, newsletter, right? So that was continuity. The other thing was, is that we really kind of put magnetic marketing has the front end product and, but we built a much better back end, right? Because there really wasn't a next step, next step, next step, next step. It, it was, listen, a great body of work, but it was incongruent, right? So Dan and Bill, it was really what Dan wanted to talk about at the next event. They would tape it, create, productize it, and sell it to the marketplace or whatever he yeah. wanted to talk about in his two to three day, you know, Dan only event, which was a couple grand to buy in, that would became a product. So we really focused on what is the, what is the, hierarchy of learning. What's the next step? What's the next step? What's the next step? What's the next step? So we created obviously magnetic marketing foremost, best product in the world. Everybody should go out and buy it right uh, tomorrow if they don't have it. But then we created uh, the ultimate marketing machine, which was really the next product, right? So how to take magnetic marketing to the next level, right? And then, okay. you know, then go deep on copywriting, right? So you had to become a better copywriter, right? No one's better than Dan at this, but Bill was a pretty good copywriter too, right? And he had outrageous advertising, right? So how not to be boring in that. So we created 
learning trees, if you will, or these are the next steps, or these are the next steps, or these are the next steps. So it wasn't just, here's a catalog of products and services have added. We either did it through email marketing, online marketing, webinar marketing, or the sales team then knew where to take Nick if Nick had just bought an XYZ product. Uh, also had a really good inbound process where they would create a question. They would fill out a very detailed questionnaire that Dan wrote. And if you could get a copy of this questionnaire to this day, if I had it, I would give it to you as a bonus for your team. But I don't think I have it anymore. But it was a phenomenal questionnaire, right? And you know, the, the you know Dan used it because he actually reviewed all of these because he was looking for whales, right? And so there was the one yeah. question: is if you had a hundred thousand dollars to spend in marketing and you could only spend it in marketing, what would you do, right? And so he was looking for people that wanted really good copywriting. And so that allowed our team to have strategic conversations. So that's another thing we did. We just didn't make it a buy my stuff, buy my stuff, buy my stuff. It's where do you want to go in your business? Where do you see the shortfalls in your business? And how can we help you get there with product services and education or events? right? Because not everybody's an event goer, not everybody's a product listener. Then we put coaching programs in place, right? And we had obviously the Dan Kennedy $33,000 coaching. And then we had the info marketing coaching program. And then we had the peak performers coaching program. But then we created the magnetic marketing coaching program, which is a lower buy-in. And it was for people or staff that want, you know, people that had staff that wanted them to learn how to implement magnetic marketing. And so, we not only productized everything and had a hierarchy tree, if you will, of these are the next steps, but we did the same thing with coaching programs. And then we did the next step with, okay, great. You understand magnetic marketing. You're an acolyte of everything, but we got to indoctrinate your staff. So let us educate your staff on that. And and then, 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 and then. So, uh, so that was, does that answer your question? It's a long answer to a short question. Wow. No, it's uh, there's there's so much uh, just condensed value in that answer that my head is spinning. Um, it's actually gonna it's actually gonna make me flip. I had a different question that I was gonna ask next, but this one is the most relevant uh, because it's what you just explained is 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 a perfect expression of one of Dan's most influential lessons. And that lesson that you know, I'm thinking about like every day right now, whoever can pay the most to acquire a customer wins. Whoever can pay the most to acquire a customer wins. And if number one, you have a direct ascension program from product one to product two to product three, um, but then also you have multiple tiers serving multiple needs within your customer base, um, at an ever increasing level to maximize the customer lifetime value, like you are setting that up. So talk to me about that lesson. How did it influence that work? How has it influenced you generally? Yeah. So great question. Um, and, you know, that was the key, right? Listen, we were blessed. We had private equity backing. They, you know, threw money on the table to acquire customers because they wanted to acquire customers fast and furious. And we had a body of work with Dan, right? And we had really good partners, right? We had Kim Walsh Phillips at the time who did a phenomenal job to help us with our media and our social media strategy and our Facebook strategy. And then we did a lot of Google, you know, we had a lot of partners and because it was UKC, we were able to get a lot of really good people to want to work with us. And so, you know, we had money. 
And I so I think the other thing too that was phenomenal was that we knew that we, you know, we could, you know, I was in a board meeting, right? And the private equity guys, you know, like Dan, like like the body of work, like the product, it didn't matter to them. It was, if I give you a dollar, you give me $7 back, let's do that all day long, right? And so yeah. to them, it was just math. They, we were acolytes, right? We had drunk the Kool-Aid, we were fans, and we knew that this would really help other people. So we wanted to get it to them. They were just money men, and I don't blame them, right? They were great people. They were great to me. Um, And it was like, I'm going to give you a dollar. You're giving me seven dollars back. How many dollars can I give you? And eventually, when does that seven dollars become six dollars? Right? You know, there's diminishing returns on that, as you know, Roy. Yeah. And so you had to really keep it on. But the other thing I will say is, and this is a mistake, and I think um, I don't know how I would have done this differently, but what I would have done was because it was so personality based and personality driven. There were people that came into the fold looking for marketing advice, looking for direct response advice, but maybe got turned off by the, the strong personalities, right? Because it was a personality centric business. And so yeah. what I would have done if I came back to do it again is I would have created other brands. So I've acquired that customer. And just instead of letting them attrition off or spin off, I would have, if they didn't do X or Y or Z, or they quit their newsletter or they didn't come, you know, I would have brought them into a different product or brand, yeah. right? And then had well, different personalities and, and married them along. Go ahead. So you argu arguably, that's uh, very similar to the Agora model that uh, that Mark Ford writes about under the pen name Michael Masterson and Ready Fire Aim, where once you have the infrastructure in place, once you have the knowledge in place, once you have the capabilities in place, you can create a parallel business inside the business. You can you can take you know the most talented coach that you have inside GKIC or magnetic marketing and spin them off into their own brand. And it still operates under the the parent umbrella. Um, but then it creates it creates resiliency, it creates diversity, um, it creates cross promotion opportunities because somebody might ascend. I mean, another lesson from Dan, a buyer's a buyer's buyer, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, somebody might ascend in both those businesses faster than they would ascend in a single business making both of those offers. Yeah, I would have, like I said, I would have changed it uh, substantially. Uh, and has fast and furious for that reason, right? I would have made it much, um, I would have done exactly what you just said, and I would have followed that model better. That's that that still keeps me up at night that I didn't do that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you did pretty well. Um, there's there's a concept that you mention often as you're talking about the success that you had with um with dance companies um and that you still apply today. And that sales velocity. So talk to me about sales velocity. What does that mean? Um, how do you improve it? Why is it so important to, to focus on this? Well, I think the first thing that you want to do is you want to make sure it's it's how how fast are people prospects moving through, right? And it's yeah. how fast can you get them A, to raise their hand, B, to take some level of action, but most importantly, not just download something, not just consume some free information, but get them to buy something. And we were fanatical on getting them to buy something. I had to get magnetic marketing in their hand. 
I had to get them the next product in their hand. I needed to get them to an, you know, to, to an event. And the key to say, you know, Ascension is retention. That's, you know, and we learned that, right? We learned that from Dan and other people that teach. I actually think I heard it from Scott Manning in all fairness, but, you know, Ascension is retention. So the faster I could ascend you and get you to spend more, the more resilient you become because my products and services work, right? I'm making you a better businessman, but it's bringing you to that next level. Um, And so that was the key. So we were fanatical on how long prospect in, get them to take something, get them to buy something, get them to buy the next thing and buy the next thing and buy the next thing. And that's where kind of the terminology sales velocity came in. Now, the other, the problem is, and I'm sure you see this with your clients and your, and your listeners probably see this, because you're such good marketers, you get a lot of waste in the marketplace, right? Because you get a lot of people that are opting in to look at your funnel, to shop your funnel. And so, you know, Nick Luisi could be under 18 different emails, right? So when we looked at our list, you know, there was a lot of, you know, multiple people in. And so you got to, you know, you got to be, it's not as traditional as I'm selling to Coca-Cola. I got Coca-Cola to say yes, to do business with me. And then from there, I'm bringing them through as a client, right? You know, so it's something you have to keep clean. Okay. Um. So, so like what, what were you implementing that increased the sales velocity inside the company? And if we can mirror a little bit, if we can jump forward a little bit, um, how are you repeating that, um, that behavior today in, in what you're doing with clients um, in terms of increasing their sales velocity? Yeah. So I think the first thing that we're doing is we, we put people on the phones, right? I put a sales team in. So we, and we rapidly grew the sales team, right? So we knew that for every salesperson that we brought on, their quota was a half of between a half a million to 750,000, right? And so for that investment, we would get that return, right? Because we put them into a proven and predictable sales process. Here's what you say. Here is what you do. Here's how you send follow-up. Here's how you nurture them, Right. Everyone I you speak to, I want a book going out. I used to I used to monitor the books going out, uh, and we had a concierge team that would put the books out. They were a phenomenal team. The entire team worked together. But I knew the more books I had going out on any given day, the more that would come back in spades. Right. So get Nick on the phone, have a conversation with them. Wasn't ready to buy, not a problem. I'm sending you some bonuses. I want physical things in your hand. Let me get you a copy of Dan's latest book, right? Let me get you a copy of an interview that we did. I think this is going to solve you and just nurturing that away. So yeah, you could do it with email. And I know the whole world wants the world to be easy. We just want to send an email and I'm not taking anything away from that. But listen, I just, what what is there? The average person's getting like 6,000 emails over the course of their, you know, a year. I mean, you know, you just can't send one more email. Uh, I was just working with a client before you and I got on the phone and the, and the young lady's like, I sent you your script. I sent you the new script. I'm like, no, you didn't. And then finally I had to go check my spam folder. Well, I got clients that, you know, are now going into my spam, you know? So, yeah. so you, we got people on the phones. We nurtured, we created a process, a sales process, a proven and repeatable sales process and just added water and over and over and over and over again. And I even knew that I could take maybe less skilled sellers in, you know, 
right out of college, second sales job, whatever that is, and teach them the process. And they became highly skilled salespeople and were putting up big numbers. Um, you know, I had a, I had a, you know, so, so, and now what am I doing? Oh, well, I'm doing that for clients, right? So I'm creating sales processes and sales systems for them to put into their, into their um, businesses to not only be an online business, but also take people through through a sales process that's maybe a little bit different than some of the quote unquote high ticket closer world that maybe people are living in where the closer staying on your books for um, for two weeks and they're gone because there's not enough money for them or you know SDRs are burning through so fast. So you know we're really taking a holistic approach in putting high quality salespeople, high quality teams together but really it all starts with how do things get sold around here how do we want things get sold here how do we pro you know create a system right i'm all about the system and yeah. systemize everything and then move people through well one of the things that dan consistently emphasizes and i hear it in what you're saying is that when so taking that magnetic marketing speech i've heard him talk about it and i've heard him talk about delivering it and i've heard him talk about how as he was doing that, and probably still today, he could be woken out, woken up out of a deep sleep and told what the last sentence was in the speech and pick up the speech from there, including, for example, when he's going to pause, walk over to his water and take a sip. Because that's going to increase the emotional impact of what he said or whatever is necessary to close more sales. and. It's all choreographed. It's all intentional. And when done right, that gives you repeatability, right? So if Nick designs the system based on what Nick understands, Nick can bring in, you know, maybe not McDonald's level worker, <laughs> but somebody who is a, a, uh, strong potential salesperson who is also very teachable and trainable. And that person can pick that up and use it to generate similar results when given the right opportunities. And so there's a little bit of the, um, you know, feeding the sales team and then having them transform that into, into sales. Here's, here's a concept I've been wrestling with a lot recently. And I'm, I'm curious just um, how accurately it describes what went on inside Dan's business when you were there. And I am going to transition soon to what you're doing now more. But the concept that I've been running with recently is that uh, essentially a really good, well-run business ends up having two marketing departments. One is client acquisition and one is customer ascension, or we could call it the, we could, we could, flip that around customer acquisition and client ascension because customer is someone who's buying magnetic marketing the book or magnetic marketing the program or uh the the most valuable free gift offer right and then the client is the person who's signing up for the coaching program so inside gkic magnetic marketing how much were you splitting those roles um in terms of the marketing and sales department so we had one person and then a team that was focused entirely on acquisition, right? And I was yeah. really lucky and really skilled, right? 
And, you know, and at one time I had Mike Stadola focus on that. And he about as good of a marketer as there is working with Robin Robbins now, you know, as their chief marketing officer. And he was phenomenal on acquisition, 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 acquisition. Then we had a whole nother department that was focused on, let's call it ascension, right? And they were, okay, boom, 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 boom. Not only just product sales, but also we, we had, you know, we had events we had to sell, as well as we had uh, different levels of membership. So they were focusing on that. Um, and that was split up into, you know, a global, let's, you know, let's sell them the products. And then we had, you know, somebody focusing on ascension for the membership. Now it was, you know, most people hovered, you know, kind of in the lowest level of membership that we had, getting them to the next level, took some, you know, some yeomanship. Uh, but getting them into the coaching programs, you know, that was really, really done vis-a-vis uh, -vis the sales team or vis-a-vis -vis a live event. Okay, fair enough. Well, so you put a, a strong emphasis on the sales side of the business, and Dan's known for sales, um, oh, yeah. but he's probably better known for marketing, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, this question feels like a rookie question as I'm saying it. Um, how how did the two work together inside the business? But then what role does sales play in a company that has strong direct response capabilities built in? Well, I you know, one is what one is your accelerant, right? One is adding gasoline to the fire and making it go that times faster, right? It is, yeah. you know. You know, good copy brings people in. Good marketing brings people in. Good direct response brings people in and gets them to selling and gets them to buy other things. But there is, you know, a subset of anybody's audience of customers or prospects or whatever you want to call them that need to be sold, right? And they need to have somebody on the phone to help them get to that next level or help them just understand where they want to go with their business, right? An account executive that is just looking strategically at where they're at. Um, and so I think you you need you need them both, right? And yeah. yes, I it know seems like the world needs like salespeople, oh. right? And we all just want to send an email, right? And listen, and yeah. salespeople deserve sometimes that because they become lazy and they want everybody to be on the phone with, here's my 14 digit credit card, right? I don't want to do anything else except for just take the money, right? So you need them both, but here's, here's what they need. You need skill. They have to be skilled players. You have to be training your salespeople every day. You have to be product knowledging them, pounding on them every day, listening to calls and coaching them through, listening through objections and coaching them through. And that's what we do. You know, I do and my team does on a daily basis because many times business owners don't want to do that. Right. And so they're setting yeah. a team up or a department up for failure just because it's it's the grind work, right? It's the, I got to go into the weight room and lift the weights to be ready for the Sunday game. I just want to play the Sunday game and have all the glory. I got to eat properly. I have to watch game film. I have to get my sleep and my recovery, right? It's the totality of it. So well, it, it ain't going away. Yeah, in many cases, the, the founder or business owner is essentially an offer creator, and they may be a great salesperson for their product because it they're able to, um, to communicate, translate, uh, share their enthusiasm um, for the product, the service, the offer, the problem that it solves, 
the unique solution that it is, but that does not translate into having a sales team that can actually do the same thing, right? And so if if the if the owner sells well because they can convey their own enthusiasm for it, but the sales team is not trained in that, right? They they need someone who is able to to do that. I, I going back to that last question just really quickly. It, it seems like the answer that was kind of hidden underneath the surface there is that your lifetime value is not going to be as good if you don't have a sales team to to work together. Um, I I think beyond a shadow of a doubt, your lifetime value is not going to be any good. And the the bigger the bigger answer that you and I didn't hit on, and that's a different conversation for a different day, is your enterprise value is going to be greater, right? So when you go to exit the business, when you go to sell the business, whoever yeah. is going to buy it, if you if it's a you know in, a traditional investor, right, a private equity firm, a venture capital firm, somebody like that, or a strategic buyer that's looking to lop it on they want to know that there's a there's multiple tiers of sales going on and it's not just marketing and it's not just sending emails right and so that's really the real question not only is your lifetime value substantially higher right but it's also yeah. every business owner should be thinking about how do i exit this business or what happens if I can't write the copy? You know what I mean? What happens yeah. if you know? What happens if uh, GDRP comes to United States and now we can't send emails? Or we, you know, I mean, there was businesses based on sending faxes. Those businesses are no longer around now. They evolve and they find different ways to do that. But here's another thing that we all learned from Dan, and nobody practices is one of anything is a dangerous number. And the second yeah. thing we all learned from Dan that we all don't practice is they all go lame, right? So eventually your email will may not be breaking through. So you never you need other ways of getting them on, right? And you need other, you know, other methodologies of salesmanship. Your webinar may stop converting. So now you need to figure that out. But while you're figuring that out, you still have overhead. You still have debt services. You know, if you, you know, you still have other things you need to do. So you have to have multiple tiers of selling and revenue coming in. So that way you can move to the next level. So I mean, it it it's all cyclical, cyclical, whatever you want to phrase it. And you know, why just have one? Why put your business at risk? Yeah, for sure. So uh, let's talk about the transition from GKIC magnetic marketing into your current company sales performance team. Sure. What? I, I mean, even even like a Goldilocks type opportunity. Uh, oftentimes, it's it's just a time to move on. There's there's a stage and a a moment for everything, right? Yeah. Um, and then there's a, a new stage and a new moment for uh, for a new Goldilocks opportunity. Um, so what did what did your transition look like? Um, what motivated you to do sales performance team? Well, I, it's a great question. Um, and so I, you know, listen, once an entrepreneur, always an entrepreneur. And my name wasn't going on the door. It wasn't yeah. going to be, you know, LGKIC, right? Uh, and, you know, I was with the private equity firm, and they were very, very good, right? So I, you know, it was, it was good. But then, you know, as different buyers came in, the deal became less enticing from an economic standpoint, right? It still was a great body yeah. of work, uh, but maybe their upside wasn't there as much, if you will. 
uh, I had, we had been running workshops uh, that we sold from the stage or sold in a breakout session or things of that nature on bringing customers in, uh, bringing clients in, and then kind of creating what we just talked about. So creating their sales process, right? Not their marketing process, but their sales process. How do things get sold? How do, how do leads come in? And maybe each lead had a different sales process. And so we would whiteboard this out or warn this out. Now, you can only do these with two or three people, right? And so they had to pay you $15,000 or, or twelve, or, you know, to come in for the weekend, and then we do this for them. Uh, and how to, you know, all say, all business owners have a fear of hiring salespeople. So we showed them how to hire salespeople. So I said, hey, listen, if they're coming in and paying us, you know, a pretty good chunk of change for, you know, a day to two days, and they're all asking, how do I get more of this? And it's not a big enough product line. You know, listen, as the president, it really you know, I had to do it on the weekends, right? Because it wasn't that big that you could focus all of your attention on just doing that. And so I was yeah. flying back from Milan, Italy. Um, I had gone to uh, a Frank Mirandez uh, who's in Italy and is a great info marketer. He was doing an event and he invited me there. Um, they, they, I went, um, you know, was flying back and I created this business plan. And so, and it was in essence, the company I'm running now. And this was, you know, 20... 20, let's say 2019, maybe 2018, I wrote this plan. Uh, and okay. so, you know, I was kind of getting ready to do that. And, and unfortunately, Dan had gotten sick for a short period of time. Now he's 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 bounced back like the uh, the Phoenix rising and is you know better than ever and smart and you know and and carrying on his thing. But for better or worse, I was the face of the business, right? I, I did a lot of the interviews, you know, people knew me. Um, and yeah. I didn't think it was fair when the Dan was unknown, right? What was going to happen? And so I don't think that the president of the company should be bouncing out of the company at that time, because I think that would have yeah. sent a bad message to the marketplace. So I put everything on hold until he bounced back, right? I'm like, okay, you know, now it's back. He's there. Um, magnetic marketing is going to be stronger than and better than ever. You know, it's it's time, right? There's time for new ideas and new people to come in. You wonder what things did I say no to that maybe you should have said yes to. And so, and, and I had gotten the itch, right? And I think when you're ready yeah. and you've gotten that itch, it's time to move on. Uh, and so I so I jumped and I, you know, I, I jumped, right? Launched it. It was phenomenal. Then a wonderful thing called COVID, right? I'm making no political statements or anything. But it really was an accelerant for my business because everybody was trying to figure out a new way to sell, didn't know how to sell virtually. And so, you know, every like all my marketing we got put on hold because I couldn't stop answering the phone and, you know, and, and getting hired by people. Uh, and so that was fun. Uh, and so, you know, it's just it's just been an, it's been a great run uh, each and every day. Yeah. Awesome. So what would you say is the major problem that um, you help? clients solve that sales performance team? Well, I think we touched a little bit on it. And so the first thing we we do is we help them kind of create a proven and repeatable sales process, right? So how things get sold. And so we create that and codify it and systematize it for them. The second thing we do is, is kind of put a for lack of a better phraseology, professional sales management around, right? So you know, how do you manage a sales team? How do you help grow people? How do you coach them to success? What does that look like? 
And business owners really don't do a good job on this. I mean, take no disrespect to business owners. Uh, I am one and I love all of you guys, but you just don't spend the time, right? Because they shouldn't be. They should be the creators of the business. They should be strategically thinking about blue ocean strategies of where to go. How, what's my next phase? Do I want to acquire things? They should be focused on big things, not the blocking and tackling of managing a sales team. So those are the first two things that we do each and every day. But probably the biggest thing we do is what you talked about uh, uh, about 15 minutes ago is we also help translate founder speak into sales speak because the founder intuitively knows how to sell his product and services intuitively is obviously the most passionate person about that. And when he's on a sales call or writing copy, he knows these are the objections that are going to happen. And I got to say this to de deflate these objections. And so, but he just intuitively knows that. So we take that and codify that and put it into the sales scripts, into the follow-up scripts, into the objection handling matrix. So that way it's a playbook, right? In the old days, it would be a binder. If you think back to the original magnetic microphone binder, we create these sales playbooks for sales teams. And but but as in anything, as a direct response marketer, which I am first and foremost, everything needs to be tested, right? So the objections that you wrote pre-COVID are different than post-COVID. The objections that you write when a Democrat's in the White House uh, is much different than a Republican, right? So you constantly need to be changing it. So the sales playbook that you wrote a year and a half ago may still work, but probably needs to be modified. So we constantly are coming in and modifying uh, playbooks. So that's what we do, right? We help you create a proven and predictable sales process so your sales team can sell. We create the playbooks, right? What to say, when to say it, message the market, match, when they are on the phone, when they are sending emails, when they are doing discovery, all of that good stuff. Uh, we coach them and train them. We manage them. We create KPIs. We create dashboards. Uh, so we kind of systematize the uh, sales process. Okay. So my next question was going to be like, you know, what, what do you find even smart entrepreneurs get wrong about building their sales teams and processes? I feel like you've kind of addressed that. So I want to change it up a little bit and say, like, what are the common big levers that you get a pull when you walk into one of these businesses that make the biggest difference fastest uh, in terms of I mean, you you explain this, uh, creating the process, creating the playbook, uh, making sure that the sales team has the, the capability to implement and the resources to implement. Um, in terms of getting the fastest results in all of that or the most impactful results in all of that, what would you say those levers are? Everyone's different, right? Uh, sometimes we have to evaluate the team. So sometimes they don't have closers on the team, right? They don't have people that can yeah. ask for the order or they have account executives and they need hunters, right? It's two different personalities. So the first thing we look at is the sales team, right? What, who are they? What are they doing? What's going on with that? And do we have the right people on the bus, right? Uh, next thing we wanna make sure that the messaging that's happening on the sales conversations is the same messaging that's marketing is you know because sometimes it's 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 incongruent right and yeah. no one's no one's talking to each other and so we're like well here are the fifteen objections that we're getting you know and so let's get these over to marketing so we kind of build uh, the bridge between marketing and sales to make sure that everybody's articulating it 
Second thing is because we're kind of scoreboarding everything and, you know, red light, green light, yellow light, you know, that type of thing. Um, just by putting a scoreboard that sometimes people don't have, uh, sales go up, right? Because competition happens. And, we, you know, we do a lot of coaching. We, you know, we, we are seasoned sales people. There isn't a industry we haven't sold in. There isn't a economy that we haven't sold our way through, right? There isn't, you know, so... So we just understand. And I think there's a lot of coaching and mentoring that just doesn't happen anymore, not just on the sales level, but that's where we focus our time, but just in general, right? No, I mean, listen, I am who I am today. One is obviously, you know, found Dan Kennedy, but also before that, I had some really good mentors, you know, some really, really good sales mentors, some really, really good marketing mentors, even some really good professors that taught me stuff that now, you know, I it's the summation of everything. And so- you know, listening to game film, watching game film, i.e. listening to their calls and coaching them. I just I took an on, I took a new client on this week. We're onboarding them, right? So we're we're focusing on their script, but it's the components of the script versus just here's a script that somebody got from somebody else, that somebody got from somebody else, that somebody got from somebody else, and they're just kind of repeating the words. It's let's get to all the components, and these are the reasons why we're saying that. So now that's going to take their set rate from 30% to 70%. I know it, but most importantly, it will take their show rate up a much substantially more time. So that way, when they get to the account executive or they get to the discovery call, it's a much more qualified person, a much better conversation, and their close rates are going to go up. So that's what we do. Excellent. Um, uh, so many tangents that we could take, but in the interest of time, um, I need to make sure that I hit the last couple good All questions right. here. That's fair. Uh, so uh, what would you say, how, how, does this, how does this question come out? What's the thinking process that you use that onboarding process, for example, uh, you're you're sitting down with a with a new client, and you're kind of you're showing up, and you have a fresh look at what they're doing, right? Um, so, what's the thinking process that you use behind building out their sales team, their sales process, or that a business owner might use either to do it themselves or be an educated buyer of services like yours? Um, well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so the first thing we do is we go through and audit everything, right? So it's like, okay, yeah. here's where you're at. And so what we've done is kind of created a best practice audit that we've seen. And I'm part of a mastermind of guys like me across the United States and Canada and some other countries, right? So we're all, you know, fractional CSOs or you know, run this type of business. And so we have a best practice audit. So we take that through and just kind of go through and look at all the different components of the sales process. It starts with lead flow, though, right? Quite frankly, you get the wrong people in with the wrong bait. And now no, it doesn't matter how good your magical scripts are and how great your, your, your account executives are at closing or your closers are, whatever phraseology you want to use. I don't know if I like that phrase, but it doesn't matter how good they are if you put the wrong who into the process, right? And so yeah. if it's an inbound process, we look at that first and foremost. So if it's an outbound process, i.e. people on the phone creating demand, putting phone calls in, doing emails, doing LinkedIn outreach, all that, which is perfectly good. Sometimes we put that in to kind of accelerate things. Now it's messaging, 
It's getting the right ICP avatar target market, whatever phraseology you want to use. Um, you know, and what's the right messaging? What's the pain? What keeps them up at night? Are they aware of the problem, right? So it's situational awareness then, or are they using Coke and you've got to get them not to Pepsi, but to Mountain Dew, right? Or coffee. So completely switch them to something. And so it's just all the levers. Is that probably I learned, you know, just being a good student of marketing and copywriting. Now we're creating message. Now we're off to the races and say, okay, now we get them in. Now let's create a discovery process, i.e. a call, not go to demo and show them a PowerPoint that they've seen 15, that you could just change the footer and the header and you don't know who the company is, but really have a detailed conversation with them about what's going on in their business or their lives if you're selling consumer, right? And what, you know, do they really want to change this and now create a value gap, right? Heaven and hell, right? Or uh, Dickens, uh, as I call it, you know, ghost of Christmas past, present and future. <laughs> what do they want it to be? And how do we get them there? And does our solution get them there? And can we get them there faster? Now then it's just a matter of math. Does the math make sense? Can they afford it? You know, and now let's go through it. And so, you know, I'm looking at it in the totality. And I think part of the reason why I'm, that's because I'm egotistical, but so I don't want to say better, but one of the reasons why I'm better than most sales guys that kind of come in is because they have one tool in their toolbox. It might be the training that they do that they created in 1980 that they're now still selling to the market. Right. And nothing wrong yeah. with them. And if it works for you, God bless. But what I'm saying is I'm looking at the totality, but I'm starting it with my eyes as a marketer and saying, who's the right who? Who are we putting into the top of the funnel? Or if if we don't, if we're not bringing them in, how are we going out and getting them? Because it's the right who and the right messaging. Sales is just the, the byproduct of all that. Makes a ton of sense. So um, speaking of who. Uh, who is your right who? Obviously, you have a lot of experience in lots of different industries, info marketing being a big one, yeah. right? Um, but who is the who that uh, that tends to just resonate best and just hit the ground running with you? So I think it's anybody that, um, you know, has a sales team or knows that they need to bring a sales team to the to the table and wants to create it. Uh, they have to have an existing business, right? Um, we do some work with, you know, like pre-revenue, but then they have to be funded, right? It's not just, it's me and my American Express, unless it's American Express, Blackheart, right? But they, you know, they have to be funded or they have to have a business. Uh, and they have to be clear on products and services that they're offering to the marketplace. Now you can pivot and you can change, but we've taken on some clients, especially during COVID, and their offer was being sometimes info marketers are a little flighty. And I say this with love and admiration because I love all of us, but they changed their offer so much that their sales team doesn't even know what they're selling because the offer got flipped 15 times, right? I mean, I was just looking yeah. at one client. They're like, well, no, that's not our offer. Like, well, how does your sales team know that? Right. You know, like, you know, if this is what they sent me, this is what they think they're selling. Right. So there's incongruency here. So let's fix all of that. So that's, that's who's best for us, you know, and it's the, owner that founder leader that realizes that they should be focusing on the bigger picture they should be focusing on the strategic growth of the company the acquisition of new company uh, of new product lines bringing in new product lines or services 
um, or going out and acquiring, right? So really focusing on big time growth issues and strategic issues and doesn't want to be in the day-to-day myriad of things. And let us focus on that. Excellent. Excellent. So you have a best practice sales audit that helps discover those opportunities within the business, but also helps you discover whether or not someone would be a fit for you. Um, Can you, we'll make sure to include a link uh, with this episode in the description for folks to go check that out. If, if what they're hearing means that it's worth having a further conversation, can you explain, I know you mentioned it before, but can you explain just a little bit more about what that uh, what that audit process looks like? Yeah, sure. Uh, so we, we focus on six areas. Uh, as I said, the first thing is, you know, top of the funnel, what's coming in. So what's the lead attraction, lead magnets? Uh, what are they doing from that? Uh, then we look at the sales process, right? So we audit that. What are they doing along the way? Where is that sales velocity or things getting stuck in, right? So one morning we took over, you know, things were sitting in their funnel for 180 days before anybody was buying it. You're going to go broke if you're feeding at the top of the funnel and you're not monetizing that back end. So we had to get things through rapidly for them. Then we look at their technology, right? You know, Sometimes we're great at marketing technology, especially if you're coming from a marketing yoke, but sales technology is a little different, right? So what's the technology yeah. stack or tech stack that we need to put in there? Uh, then we look at the team, right? Right, players on the bus. What does the training look like? How do we codify the training and make sure that we're bringing people to the, you know, the process? And we wrap and put a bow on it. Uh, and so, you know, that's it, high level, right? Um, and so, you know, it's it's really the totality of a sales process. And it goes back to how we started our conversation, Roy. And you asked, you know, is it sales? Is it marketing? Well, really, it's the marriage of the two and bringing them through. So you've got a machine and you get to that. I put a dollar in, I get seven back. Can we get it to eight? Can we get it to 10? Can we get it to $20? Right. And now, now, you know, it's not just, you know, it's how many dollars can you print for me so I can get them? Let's go to the bank and get some more and we're going to run. And with that, we have reached a perfect ending. We'll put the bow on that. Nick Luisi, thank you so much for being on Breakthrough Marketing Secrets for this interview. Um, And for everyone who has watched or listened, I would love to hear one takeaway, one action item or 10 uh, that you have gotten out of this. Also, don't forget to check the link in the description for more. I'm Roy Furr. This is Breakthrough Marketing Secrets. Thanks again for, for tuning in, and I will catch you in the next episode. See you soon. Thank you once again for tuning in to this daily episode of Breakthrough Marketing Secrets. Remember, check out the links with this episode for even more value. Now make sure you like, comment, share, subscribe, and engage in every way you can to keep this show going and growing and delivering daily value to you. I'll catch you soon for your next big breakthrough.